welcome to this edition of the Thoracic Surgery Resident Association's podcast. The opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for teaching purposes only and should not be applied directly to patient care. Hello, uh, my name is Luis Velasco. I'm one of the uh, traditional fellows in the cardiothoracic surgery program at Virginia Commonwealth University in Richmond, Virginia. I'm going to be discussing uh, today with Dr. Richard Jonas about the surgical management of complete AV canal. Dr. Richard Jonas uh, serves as the chief of cardiac surgery, is the co-director of Children's National Heart Institute. Uh, Children National Health System, and is also the Guggenfanger Professor of Surgery at George Washington uh, University. Um, how are you, Dr. Jonas? Great, Luis. Uh, looking forward to uh, talking about Complete AV Canal, and thanks for the invitation. I oh, think no. this is a great program. Thank you for thank thank you to you, sir. So let's start with a with a case uh, uh, about a AV canal. So we have a two-month-old male who was born with trisomy 21. Um, since the time of birth, he has been followed by cardiology and, and due to his uh, associated AV canal defect and has been controlled with medical therapy. Recently, the patient has been having some difficulty feeding <clears throat> and some uh, trouble breathing and also having trouble gaining weight. Uh, for this reason, the cardiologist now sends him uh, to your clinic for uh, evaluation of surgical management of, of his defect. So the first question I would like to ask you is, what are the most, clini most common clinical features of these type of patients when you see them in clinic? And how, uh, how does the pathophysiology changes when, when there is associated abnormalities? Okay, well, uh, complete AV canal is a condition where there is a large VSD as well as an ASD, and there's a common AV valve instead of two separate valves, uh, mitral and tricuspid. So when you have the potential for a left to right shunt, uh, babies are born with high resistance in their lungs. That's how they were able to survive in utero because blood needed to go from the right ventricle to the placenta and not to the lungs. So the lungs have to have a high resistance before birth. After birth, it drops fairly rapidly in the first few days, but uh, there's a continuing decrease in pulmonary resistance over the next uh, few months or even year or two. It, it varies from one child to another. So what's gonna happen is that in the newborn period, this child may not have much of a left-to-right shunt because they have high pulmonary resistance. And they may have very few symptoms in the first week or two of life. Then as the pulmonary resistance comes down, uh, the patient will develop more and more of a left-to-right shunt. Uh, they will then develop signs of congestive heart failure. And uh, the typical symptoms are exactly the sort of symptoms in your patient. So the patient is not putting on weight. So failure to thrive is a really important sign uh, of a big left to right shunt. Uh, 
patient will have difficulty feeding because they're breathing real hard, uh, they get tired out, they can't feed adequately to uh, put on weight. Often the parents will describe sweating when they try to feed, particularly they'll be uh, very sweaty, uh, and of course they're breathing fast. So th those are the uh, classical symptoms of a child with a big uh, left to right shunt. Now if a child does not develop those symptoms, we're actually sort of worried because it means that their pulmonary resistance has stayed high and that can be a bad sign. So paradoxically, the kid that has the fewest symptoms is often the one you should worry about the most because they've got already a high resistance. And that's the big problem with having too much pulmonary blood flow, too much pulmonary artery pressure, is you're gonna get pulmonary vascular disease. And these kids that start off with very high resistance and it never comes down, are often the ones that are most at risk for that. Okay, um, so let's say that this patient comes into your clinic with this type of symptoms. What are the most important diagnostic studies that you will uh, try to get from this patient in, in preparation for the surgical repair? Well, uh, all uh, uh, standard uh, sorts of studies, uh, obviously uh, knowing, uh, having a, a good physical exam and uh, uh, knowing that the patient has Down syndrome should alert you to look for uh, the presence of a complete AV canal. And of course in this day and age, uh, the obstetricians are very, very uh, good about uh, picking up on their fetal ultrasounds, the fact that there may be a congenital heart problem, uh, they will then send the patient to a maternal fetal medicine specialist okay. uh, who is likely to work with a fetal echocardiographer uh, who is expert in cardiac uh, issues. And so most of these patients these days, we know about the problem before uh, the child is even born. Uh, but it, in, in the rare child where it's not picked up prenatally, uh, a chest x-ray is going to show the fact that the lung fields are congested, there's too much pulmonary blood flow, and the heart size uh, will become progressively more enlarged. Um, you can look at an EKG uh, and that uh, should show the classic signs uh, of left axis deviation uh, and you will really base most uh, of the diagnostic decisions regarding uh, this patient on an echocardiogram. Echocardiography is very accurate uh, in these kids um, and you're going to need to look for uh, some uh, specific features of the AV canal and also the presence of associated uh, anomalies. Uh, Another, you know, very important uh, whole area of associated anomalies is when you, you have an unbalanced AV canal so that the common AV valve, the single big valve, instead of being lined up equally over the RV and the LV, is lined up more to the left side or to the right side. And so 
if you try to repair a child like that, you can end up with a really tiny tricuspidal mitral valve and too small a ventricle. And at some point, you have to make a decision to go with a single ventricle repair because it's just inadequate, uh, either an inadequate ventricle or an inadequate AV valve to allow a two ventricle repair. One of the uh, systems that is used for classifying AV canal uh, is the Rastelli system. Uh, so this uh, is based on the anatomy of the common AV valve. So if you have a superior, what I call a superior common leaflet. It's the, it's the leaflet that's closest to the aortic valve uh, and it is more superior relative to the inferior common leaflet. That common leaflet can either be divided over the ventricular septum, okay. in which case we call it a Rastelli type A, and that's the most common uh, form of AV canal, or you can have an undivided superior common leaflet, uh, which we call Rastelli type C, and this makes up around about usually 25% in most series. Uh, the caudal attachments, if, if you've got divi a division over the crest of the septum, you sort of have to have cords going to support that line of division. Um, so that, that's another difference between type A and type C. So in type A you've got multiple cords running to the superior common leaflet from the crest of the septum. Often in type C there will be few or no uh, caudal supports from the septum going to the superior common leaflet. The echocardiographer is going to tell you how big the VSD and the ASDR, uh, and you, you need to look at that with the echocardiographer. This is definitely something where you need to have a good understanding of what the images look like so you can plan how you're going to uh, perform the uh, repair. Uh, is there any role for any, any other type of imaging, namely MRI, or uh, is important to also have these patients undergo cardiac catheterization at in, in any case? Well, I, th I think the sort of situations where you might want a cardiac cath, and there's not that many, are uh, the baby that has elevated pulmonary resistance because that, mm -hmm. you won't get that information from an echocardiogram. Remember, you've got an unrestricted VSD, so there's no difference in pressure between the RV and the LV for any kid with complete AV canal. It's pretty rare to have a restrictive VSD. Uh, if it's a transitional AV canal, that's a different story, but today we're talking about complete AV canal, which really means an unrestricted VSD. So RV pressure is gonna be uh, systemic. The question is what is the PA resistance and the PA pressure and how reactive is it? And you won't get that from an echocardiogram. So, uh, cardiac catheterization in an older child or that rare child that's uh, never been symptomatic and uh, maybe uh, is even getting a little bit blue 
you might want to know what the pulmonary resistance is and certainly that will help you in your post-operative management uh, for example having nitric oxide ready in the operating room I don't think there are many situations where I would choose to do a cardiac MRI uh, for a baby with complete AV canal okay so continuing with our case um, the echocardiogram in this case shows a balanced complete AV canal uh, there is known to trivial AV valve regurgitation and there's no associated anomalies. Um, so at this point, having in consideration the symptoms that the patient is having, the patient's age, uh, what would be your approach in terms of surgical repair for this patient? Would you uh, take him uh, to the OR soon or would you wait uh, a little longer uh, so the patient is a little older? Well, uh, as you know, my, my personal bias, having trained with uh, Sir Brian Barrett Boys and, and Aldo Castaneda, both of whom really promoted the concept of early primary repair. So the sooner you fix a problem, the less, uh, the fewer late uh, secondary consequences of that uh, basic problem are, are, are going to be an ongoing problem for the child. So uh, the the one thing that complicates that decision a little bit with these babies is the fact the valve tissue is pretty fragile in <clears throat> a newborn. Uh, so we don't do this operation, uh, or it's pretty rare that we would do this operation by choice, electively, in an asymptomatic newborn. But I don't think you want to wait much more than two or three months. Um, the problem is, as we talked about at the beginning, that you're developing an increasing left to right shunt. And what that means is that the heart is going to dilate. As the heart gets bigger, those AV valve leaflets are not going to coact and you are going to start to get common AV valve regurgitation. And what does that do? Well, it further exacerbates the dilation of the heart, which worsens the AV valve regurgitation. So I, uh, in this uh, particular uh, patient that we're talking about today, uh, I, I would definitely go ahead. The child's now, uh, say, two months old. And in fact, like I said, any child, with or without symptoms, I'd have surgery scheduled to be done before three months of age. Okay. I wouldn't wait any longer than that. Definitely. So uh, in this case, we have decided that the patient requires uh, surgery. And what will be the, the, the correct approach in this case? Well, uh, you know, there are a lot of different techniques for uh, repairing a complete AV canal. Uh, and I, I wouldn't say there's a correct approach. I mean, uh, there is a, a preference. You know, different surgeons have different preferences. And I, I think uh, all, all of the uh, well-described uh, techniques for repair of complete AV canal can give very good results uh, in different surgeons' hands. Uh, we, we've shifted to what we call the... Australian technique. So in the in the 1990s we started using this technique that involves bringing the AV valve leaflets down to the crest of the septum. 
everybody worries that this is going to cause left ventricular outflow tract obstruction, but it, it was the fact that Graham Nunn has a very good follow-up on a very big series of patients and has minimal to no LV outflow tract obstruction, either early or late, that uh, convinced me that this was a technique I should try. It's a simplified technique. It's easier to teach. It's easier to do. It's easier to achieve a competent AV valve, which is ultimately what is really the Achilles heel of this operation. If you end up with a badly regurgitant uh, mitral or tricuspid valve, then this patient is not going to do very well. And it's also a technique that is, in a sense, self-reinforcing. Uh, it, it allows for the fact that the AV valve tissue is fragile. But because you're using the pericardial patch, so we use autologous pericardium treated with glutaraldehyde, uh, and that is essentially a big pledget that is bringing down uh, and sam what you're doing is sandwiching that delicate AV valve tissue between the crest of the ventricular septum where you've placed your sutures uh, and the pericardial patch. So when you tie those sutures down, it sandwiches the AV valve tissue uh, and now you've created two separate AV valves and you've eliminated the VSD that was previously underneath the uh, common AV valve. And then you use the same pericardial patch to close the primum ASD. Uh, another uh, point is that uh, I've really gone to pretty much routinely placing a fenestration uh, in the uh, patch over the coronary sinus ostium I think that is helpful uh, when you've got a Down syndrome baby with elevated uh, pulmonary resistance. Now another thing you want to do uh, is to close the cleft. You, you've created a new mitral valve uh, and so we routinely do close that cleft. That's something that has to be done very, very carefully. Uh, and we test the valve so by distending the left ventricle, uh, just like you would with a mitral valve repair for an adult, you can see if you've got any areas of regurgitation. Uh, sometimes there'll be one or other commissure that uh, is a little bit regurgitant. And then we place a just a simple commissuroplasty. It's just a doubly pledgeted suture that takes a little tuck at the commissure. Uh, sometimes you, you can place two of those. You have to analyze the valve pretty carefully and this is where a lot of experience in doing a lot of these helps you to understand how are you going to change the shape of the annulus to improve the apposition of the valve leaflets. But really tidying up a valve so that it goes from a mild amount of leakage to less than trivial uh, is uh, something that you, you need to work on that for a bit. And you, you need to focus also on the tricuspid valve and uh, do similar sort of commissuroplasties and uh, adjust the valve uh, to achieve optimal competence. Now, the alternatives to the Australian technique are the 
all traditional single patch uh, technique. This was a technique that uh, Bill Nord and Aldo Castaneda taught me where you place a single patch that closes both the ASD and the VSD. And certainly in the case of a type C, since that superior leaflet is a single leaflet, you've got to split that, you've got to cut it, and then reattach it to that patch. And that has to be done very carefully. And of course the two-patch technique uh, is basically similar to the Australian technique, except you have to uh, include in a, a second patch. So this is a patch that's going to close the VSD that's under the AV valve leaflets, but once again you sandwich the AV valve tissue between your VSD patch and the ASD patch, uh, and that's uh, reinforced on both sides. You haven't had to cut the valve leaflet, so I think that makes it a little bit more secure than the traditional single patch technique. But it suffers from the disadvantage that you've got to wind a patch and sutures in between all the caudal supports and that can interfere with the function of the valve, the, the new valves that you're creating. Let's say in this case we have completed a repair and then on the post uh, uh, post-operative or post-pump uh, transesophageal echocardiogram there is evidence that there is at least moderate mitral regurgitation. What are the choices at this point? Um, well, uh, for a start, hopefully you can avoid getting into that situation by testing the valve carefully with injection of cardioplegia, uh, as, as we just talked about. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, after doing a few of these, you'll get a pretty good idea of what the valve is going to look like. Uh, we still make it a routine to place a left atrial line and I think that information that you can get from the pressure, both the mean pressure as well as the height of A waves and V waves is something that's very important because you can watch that evolve continuously. So let, let's say that uh, the LA line does show a high mean pressure and a big V wave in the TE shows that it's a commissural leak, then I would go back on bypass uh, and cross clamp once again, just lift the patch up. I mean, you can reopen the ASD patch in two minutes and uh, place an additional commissuroplasty suture just to pinch down that uh, area that's regurgitant. Now it's always a balance. I mean, uh, sometimes you're at the point where any further narrowing of the valve is going to cause excessive stenosis of the valve. So you gotta you gotta achieve a balance where you've got an acceptable amount of regurge, but not too much stenosis. So don't trade one problem for another. And you know, that's where perfect can be the enemy of good. You, you want to go, you're trying to aim for an absolutely perfect no-leak valve, but instead you end up with a stenotic valve, mm -hmm. and the patient's uh, just as badly off as if you'd tolerated, say, a mild to moderate degree of regurgitation. So it's, it's, it's very, a very important part of the decision-making in, in any operation, really.
Okay. What is the the long term results of this type of repair? Well, some of these valves do deteriorate over time. As I always explain to parents, we don't know how a valve is going to grow and develop. So it really is important to follow the growth and development of the valves. And around about 5% or so of these valves will gradually deteriorate and eventually need uh, a reoperation over about the next 10 years or so. A regular follow-up and the same sort of symptoms that we talked about previously. So if a child is failing to thrive, respiratory uh, difficulties, uh, sweating and uh, so on, but really failure to thrive is likely to be the, the best way for you to measure whether the child's doing well. Okay, so thank you very much. I think we're, our time is up. and. But I find all this information very helpful, and I'm sure that the audience is also going to find it very helpful. And I would like to thank you uh, in the name of everyone listening. Thank sure, you. Sure, my, my pleasure, Luis. I, I, I enjoyed uh, participating. Thanks for the invitation.